Happy Sunday, everybody. We love you all. Love what God's doing in the life of our church. A special good morning to Chesterfield County Jail and Virginia Department of Corrections and our campuses. We love you all. We love what God's doing in this community. And it's 4th of July weekend. It's the time of year that we take to celebrate our freedoms and, uh, and our country and to honor our country. And so it's an incredible weekend to celebrate. And it's a weekend where we started a tradition a few years ago of just developing leaders and giving them an opportunity to share with us what God's doing in their life. See, one of our values as a church is to look out for people who sense the call of God in their life. They have a passion for ministry and God's word and people and to try to pour into them and develop them and then to give you an opportunity to see some of that on the weekend. We call it Young Communicator Sunday. It means that we're going to have four preachers in every service and they're going to preach seven minute sermons and we're going to have the chance to cheer them on. I'll never forget the first sermon I ever preached. I was 16 years old. And I gotta tell you, I wasn't as good as these communicators. I wasn't as experienced. And there was a group of people though that just encouraged me and said amen and, and developed the call of God in my life. And God used that to develop me as a leader. And so today, Chapel, we get an opportunity to do that. And so when they're preaching well, I want you to say the loudest amens you can and, and laugh at all their jokes and enjoy the message. And, even if they're not preaching the best, I want you to say the loudest amens you can and laugh at all their jokes and enjoy the sermon. I know we're a community that loves to cheer on the call of God in leaders' life. So Chapel, would you do me a favor at every location and let's give a big welcome to our communicators as they come to speak. How are we doing, Chapel? Come on, it is so good to be together. Woo, you guys. How's it going? Come on, I love the energy in this room. It seems like y'all are already ready to go. Oh my gosh, well, I love you guys. I've been here at chapel ever since I was 15, thanks to my parents. And uh, I, I just have loved getting to be a part of this community. This is a life-giving community, and it's just so special what God is doing at chapel, isn't it? Yeah, it is awesome. I get to lead on the young adult team, Thrive. Come on, Thrive. And uh, we also, I also get to lead on the uh, hospitality team here at the chapel. So just so excited to share what God has put on my heart. But another thing that I just love is our leaders here at the chapel. Come on, can we just give our pastors just a thank you? We love you guys. Thank you for investing in us. So honored for this opportunity. All right, y'all ready to dig in? Let's do it. Well, hey, today I want to talk about what it looks like to have a consistent passion for Jesus. How our passion level doesn't have to be dictated by our circumstances or our feelings. I've had the pleasure of working in the ICU as a registered nurse for several years. And one of the things I never get away from is all of the alarms. There is always something beeping. There's always something going off. And whether you've worked in the medical field, whether you've been a patient, whether you've been a family member, you've probably heard what I'm talking about, right? There's always an alarm going off. And while this can be helpful in alerting us if there's a changing condition, it also can be really problematic. Because you see, 72% of alarms are false alarms. So over time, these alarms that are here to help us, can become, we can become desensitized to them. And it actually can lead to patient harm. Our world 
is full of so much stimulation. There's so much information, so many things vying for our attention. And I think what can happen is that from all these different options, we can have trouble knowing what are the truly important things in life. We can start to settle for less than God's best in our families, in our workplace, and it can be hard to know, what, what is it? How can I stay passionate for Jesus? But you know what? I believe God wants to restore our passion today. You know, I love the words of Jesus. He said, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But what did he say? I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. He wants to give you that full life, the abundant life found in Jesus. And I want to talk today about how King David found the abundant life and how it wasn't based on his circumstances. The first thing we can see from the life of King David is that from being in the field as a shepherd to being king on the throne, he was a worshiper, right? He loved to sing praises to the Lord. And one of the things I love is that he was a worshiper, not just in how he sang, but in how he lived. He lived fully committed to the Lord. I love how he was transparent before God and he trusted in God. As, as a shepherd, he probably experienced loneliness, but in that time, he got to know the good shepherd. As, as he moved along his life, each, each battle, each great victory, and every difficulty, he was being refined. He was learning what it meant to trust God, to worship through the highs and the lows. Even as a king, right, David wasn't afraid to show his emotions. It says in 2 Samuel 6, that David danced before the Lord with all his might, wearing a priestly garment. So David and all the people of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouts of joy and the blowing of ram's horns. So this is a moment in history where the ark of the Lord is being restored to Jerusalem, and where, um, which represents God's presence. And David is not going to pass this moment by. He is celebrating. He's worshiping with all his might. You know, I um, had a patient on the ICU a while back who just had experienced a heart attack and had gotten a cardiac stent. And a stent is a little piece of metal uh, mesh, and, and it goes right in where the blocked artery is in your heart, and it opens up that blocked artery. And instantly, you can go from feeling super sick to completely better. This patient was on the ICU for medical observation, and he had just, and I was just admitting him, getting his medications, when I realized he was crying. And I, I just paused what I was doing. I came over to his bedside, and I asked him, how are you doing? And I'll never forget his response. In this moment where he had almost been dead, and now is was completely fine, he, he told me, man, I don't know what's wrong with me. I just need to get it together. And it hit me how often we can be ashamed of showing our emotions. It, it can be so challenging to be open, especially before God. You look at the fall with Adam and Eve, and ever since the garden, we've been, we, we want to hide instead of come to Jesus. And I love how David didn't hide. He was transparent before God. When he made the biggest mess up of his life, he told God, create in me a clean heart. Change me. He wanted to be transparent and to trust God in every season. And that's what makes him a man after God's own heart. And when you express your emotions to God, I want you to know you're opening yourself up to experiencing God's healing. 
I believe God wants to heal us of our emotions and our hurts, but we've got to, we've got to open our hearts, be willing to show him. And I believe in that process, he is going to heal us. And so whether you feel like somebody is throwing a spear at you in life, you know, like David, you know, guys were throwing spears at him, or whether you feel like you're king and doing just great in your business or anything, I believe God wants you to be a worshiper. He wants us just to be a church that loves to worship his presence. And in those moments, we're going to experience the fullness of life. The second thing we see in the life of David is that not only was he a worshiper, he was a warrior. He was a fighter, right? It says that King Saul, he killed thousands, but David, he killed tens of thousands. Pretty, pretty strong. And uh, before he uh, conquered Goliath, so again, this is before he did it, he is talking in 1 Samuel 17, and he said to Goliath, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. I, I love that. David had the courage to stand up and fight, even when all of Israel, all of the army was paralyzed by fear. He took what he learned by worshiping Jesus by spending time in prayer, by cultivating that hiding place with God, and he put it into practice in the battlefield. It's all about what God is doing in us. He wants to do through us. And I believe that whatever is going on in your life, God wants you to stand up to fight for your family, to fight for your ministry, to fight for the loved ones around us. We can't stand back. We've got to stand tall, trust the promises of God, and, and claim what God has done. Because the amazing thing is that it was never ours to bear. The battle is the Lord's, right? The battle is the Lord's. So no matter what you're facing this morning, I want you to know God knows your heart. He wants to heal you. Open yourself up to him. Worship him. And in those moments, God's going to give you strength to fight the battle and experience the fullness of life. Hello. Good morning, everybody. How you doing? Awesome. It's good to see you guys. My name is Christina Ramsey. And I'm so excited to be speaking with you all this morning. Um, I am the kids director over at our Scots Edition campus. And um, it's always super exciting to cross the river and come over here and visit with you guys. Um, so this morning, I want to talk to you a little bit about fear. And uh, this was put on my heart recently because of an interaction I had with my pet rabbit. And I know that sounds a little insane, but I don't have kids, so you're getting a rabbit illustration. Um, so, for whatever reason, this is how God chose to speak to me. So, I was going on a trip, a little weekend trip to visit my parents, okay? And I have a pet rabbit, and his name is Dusty, and he's very cute. And um, if you don't know this, rabbits are prey animals. So, that means they're pretty much just scared of everything, right? So, I am about to try and get Dusty to go in his travel carrier, but of course, as soon as he sees it, he knows what's happening and his eyes get really big and he like darts under the bed and he hides. 
And so I'm like, okay, here we go. So I I start trying to get under the bed to get to him, but he knows all the the corners that I can't get to. So he's he's hiding and he's running and he's darting and I'm trying to get to him and I'm I'm getting frustrated. And so so I, I start trying to talk to him, you know? And so I'm like, Dusty, like, it's okay. Like, we're just going to my parents' house. Like, you like my parents' house. You know what it's like there. You have a nice little cage there. I'm gonna give you so many treats. Like, I'm reasoning with a rabbit, okay? And so he, he he darts away. He's not listening. And, and I'm just chasing him around the room at this point, And I'm getting so frustrated. And, and because I know where we're going, right? I know that we're going to get there. It's going to be great. He's going to have a good time. But I just get so frustrated that at some point he's running around and I'm just yelling over and over again. Just trust me. Trust me. It's going to be okay. Trust me. Trust me. It's going to be fine. And then all of a sudden it hits me like a ton of bricks. God is like, you know, that's you, right? And I was like, pardon? <laughs> he was like, that's you. When you don't have all the answers, when you don't know the plan, you don't trust me. He was like, I know the end from the beginning. I know exactly how your life is going to go. I've got you, and still you don't trust me. And man, I never thought God was going to speak to me through a rabbit, but he sure did. <laughs> so I want to talk to you guys today about fear. Because I do believe that there's a lot of fear in this world and there's a lot of afraid people. But we don't need fearful Christians, right? Because God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and of sound mind. So I want to go into this passage of scripture today where Jesus walks on water. And we're going to focus on Peter. Because in this story, Peter has a choice, right? He can either choose faith or fear. And we're going to see what he chooses. So we're going to read Matthew chapter 14, verses 25 through 33. It says, about three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them walking on the water. And when the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified. In their fear, they cried out, it's a ghost. But Jesus spoke to them at once. Don't be afraid, he said. Take courage. I am here. Then Peter called to him. Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. Yes, come, Jesus said. So Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on the water toward Jesus. But when he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified and began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. You have so little faith, Jesus said. Why did you doubt me? And when they climbed back into the boat, the wind stopped. Then the disciples worshipped him. You really are the son of God, they exclaimed. So this story is the perfect example of what happens when we let our fear become bigger than our trust in God, right? So I'm going to give us three ways this morning that we can prevent fear from ruling our lives. You guys ready for that? All right. So the first thing we can do is we need to take a step of faith. Now, Peter had this part down, right? He was ready. All of the other disciples were like, it's a ghost, I'm out. They were perfectly fine in that boat. But Peter is the one who stepped out of the boat. He said, command me to come out on that water. And he did. And because of that initial step of faith, Peter walked on water. How incredible is that? Like amazing things can happen when we just take that first step of faith like, imagine how scary that would have been. 
Peter had no idea that he was going to be able to walk on water. He stepped out of a boat, but he saw his God and he trusted him and he walked on water with Jesus. How often do we let fear stop us from just taking that first step? Imagine what we can do with God when we take that first step of faith, that first step of obedience. But it doesn't stop here, right? Because here's where Peter lost it. And here's where a lot of us might lose it. We need to keep our eyes on Jesus. Because here's what happened. Peter was walking on water. It was incredible. His eyes were on Jesus. And then it says, but when he saw the strength of the wind, he was afraid. He took his eyes off of Jesus. The strength of the wind became mightier than the power of his God. Because when we take our eyes off of Jesus, our problems get bigger. The unknown becomes scarier. And God feels a little bit less trustworthy, doesn't he? But fear doesn't stand a chance when our gaze is fixed on Jesus. So let's look at the end of this story. Because the disciples, they're just in this boat watching all of this, right? They are bearing witness to something incredible. They are seeing the mightiness of Jesus and how fear and doubt played a role in Peter's miracle. And all they can do when Jesus and Peter get back into the boat is worship. So that's our third step, is just worship. Because I don't know about you, but it's pretty hard for me to worship God and feel afraid at the same time. Because when we worship God, we're taking ourselves out of the driver's seat and we're putting God back in his rightful place because he is in control. We are not. And when we worship him, his power and his might and his trustworthiness, they rush to the forefront. When we worship him, he never stops being in control, right? But when we worship him, we recognize that he truly is in control. So today, we are not going to succumb to fear. We're going to take a step of faith. We're going to keep our eyes on Jesus, and we're going to worship. And I'm just going to close with this verse, and if you'd like, just open your hands today to receive this. It's Joshua 1.9. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous? Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Amen. morning chapel my name is michael michael davis <laughs> uh, i serve here on the worship team uh and i'll thrive the worship team as well super excited to share uh, what god lays, what god has laid in my heart this morning uh the thing god has laid in my heart is pursuing after jesus hungering for jesus in psalm 63 david writes these words in verse one oh god you are my god early will i seek you my soul thirsts for you and my flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water and I want to ask you this question, and God asked me this, so I just want to ask you too. What are you pursuing? And what are you hungering for? What are you thirsting after? David said here, he thirsts and he hungers for God to see God, to dwell in his sanctuary in verse 3 and 4 says. And there's so many things pulling our attention, pulling our attention away from the one we are to be worshiping. What are you pursuing? What are you after? That's the, that's the question God wants to ask. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land. If I put you in the desert for three days with no water, 
or a week with no food and come back with water and food, you're going to tackle me for that food. <laughs> the NFL is going to sign you up that day because you, you have tackled me to the ground. Why? Because you're desperate for that water. You're desperate for that food. And it, it, I, I guess it must amaze God how, how much we want other things, how much we want the things of this world. This God that we serve who dwells in unapproachable light, the one who was before all things and created all things. Humbled, he pursued you, did he not? He pursued me. Why can we not pursue him? The same God who humbled himself and took on the form of a man and was born in a cave and wrapped in garments that they clean animals with. This is the God of the universe. And then humbled himself further, the scripture says, to die even uh, a death on the cross. And with those same hands that he created the world, they pierced him and nailed him to a cross for me and for you. He didn't do it for himself. It's one thing if he did it for himself, he did it for us to pardon our sins so we can be with him forever. Put in a tomb and on the third day, you know the story, on the third day rose from the grave and descended above the heights of the clouds, above the highest heaven, and sat down at the right hand of the Father, forever Christ Jesus the Lord. Let's not let the gospel grow dull in our hearing. He wants us. He did all that to pursue us. How much more can we pursue him with everything that we have? David said, my soul thirsts for thee, my flesh longs for thee in a dry and thirsty land. There, there is no complacency in that whatsoever. There's no casualness in that whatsoever. He wants my heart. He is pursuing me with everything. He can't give me any more than what he gave me. Jesus is the best he's got. And he gave me his best. And I owe it to Jesus to give him all that I have. Instagram is not that important. I'm, hey, Facebook is not that important. YouTube, not that important. Netflix, I love NCIS, but it's not that important. It, it didn't die for me. It didn't, do, it didn't do anything for me. And if I'm going to call myself a follower of Christ... I have to pursue him and deny myself. Luke 14, 26, Jesus says, if you want to be my disciple, you have to deny yourself. Pick up your cross and follow me. There is no other option. There is no other way. We can't water down the gospel to make us comfortable. He wants everything we have to give him. And a couple months ago, God, God has showed me uh, that I had had some idols in my life. It was Netflix. It was the YouTube. It was the phone. I didn't bring my phone up here, but every, everyone has a phone, right? That thing has become, for so many of us, an idol. It's become the thing that we seek comfort from, we seek uh, pleasure from, we seek all these things that we should seek God for. And it's become so normal in our society to just be on the phone, be on the phone. I was on the phone for hours, like four hours a day. You know, you have the screen time on iPhone, and if you're an, if you, if you're an Android user, you need to come on back around, <laughs> repent, and be baptized, because you, iPhone is, what it, is where it is. But there's, there's screen time on it, and I was, I was on that for four or five hours a day. And spending 10 minutes with God, that's an idol. That's an idol. Idols aren't always uh, gold and carved out of wood. They can be phone, friends, family, husband, wife, anything that we put above God can be an idol. And I can't worship God fully if there's an idol in my life. Because I'm worshiping the idol more than I'm worshiping Jesus. We have to get rid of our idols. Even in Exodus, uh, you remember on Mount Sinai when uh, the Israelites saw God 
they saw him, you know, the, the trumpets and the, the voices and the lightning and the thundering. God spoke to them face to face. And they still decided in God's face to make an idol and worship it instead. And we look at that and we're like, oh my God, how could they do that? I've done it. We've all done it. And we need to recognize that just how the Israelites did that then, we're doing that today. And we're like, God, I want more of you, God. Come rescue me, God, I need more of you. But we don't seek him. 10 minutes is not enough. He wants to be, he wants to be, he wants friends. He wants fellowship. He wants communion. If I spent 10 minutes with my wife a week, that would not go well. (laughs) Would not go well. But I love you, but I only spend 10 minutes with you a week. That's, that's not, that's not love. When I'm doing, when I'm out with friends, if I'm out with friends all night, all day, but then I come home, I love you, and I do that all week. She's going to look at me like, yeah, you sure? (laughs) He wants time. He wants time with us. He just wants to be with us. 10 minutes is, 10 minutes is not enough to 20 minutes, 30 minutes. I I owe him my life. I owe him my time. He saved me (laughs) so I can give him 30 minutes. Even if I don't know what to do, just sit there and just be with him. So when God told me, all right, you have some idols in your life, I was like, all right, cool. What do I do about that? Because I don't, I don't know what to do. So he was like, why don't you just ask me for more of, ask me for more of me. Ask me to put a desire in your heart for more of me. And that's what I want to give to you today. That's the one point I have. Ask God if you want more of him. Because some people don't. If you don't, hey. But if you do, ask God for more. And then respond to him when he prompts you to go do something. It's one thing to say I want more of you. It's another thing to die to the flesh and go spend time with God. He wants everything that we have. So if we just all lift our hands, Father, we want more of you. Not just with words, but with our actions. Father, we want to pursue you more. We want to go after you more. Our soul longs and our flesh uh, uh, wants more of you, God. Lord, fill our hearts with you. Help us to get up in the morning and seek you and put all the things to the side, put our idols to the side and seek you with everything that we have. For you're worthy of nothing less than that. Lord, we thank you, Lord, for prompting in our hearts and moving in us, God. And thank you, Lord, for letting us be one with you. It's a privilege and an honor to be one with you. We love you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Good. Awesome. Really thankful. Well, I'm really excited for the other three. So they know that it's like an on-ramp. They start low with me, and then they, and then they really incline with the excitement and the charisma and everything. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I, I think I just want to make a comment. Just like Jason's sharing the story, it seems real quick, and then the videos we make real quick. But if we knew, if all of us knew even half of what the Lord was doing in our church, because we know a little part. We know our Scott's Edition part, and they know their mid-low part. We know the Chesterfield heart part. But if we knew even one of us, I think we'd be overwhelmed with knowing how many specific lives are changed, how many lives are, you know, Jesus is healing people and delivering them of addictions. And so we have no idea. So just know that what you see here is like, just like this much. So when we get excited in worship, it's really because we don't even really see the full, the full window of what God's doing. Anyways, so um, today uh, we're going to go off the beaten, beaten path just for like two or three minutes um, scripturally uh, on a passage that's maybe not often preached on. Um, And so I'm going to 
going to talk about the Song of Songs, just one, one, <laughs> one verse in the Song of Songs. And uh, those who read through it really fast, they might think, man, this book is just all about fruit and gazelles and stuff. And you can talk to Jason about all that later. Um, but what I want to talk to you about is uh, chapter 2, uh, verse 15. There's this interesting verse. What is the Song of Songs really about? It's about love. And so many people believe that it's, it's really, you know, Solomon wrote it. He wrote it as like a kind of a love book to his, his you know, a certain love of his called the Beloved. Uh, many people think that it's a parallel, like a poetic parallel to God's love for us. And so I think both principles we can draw from. So in, in, in ver- chapter 2, verse 15, he goes through this whole like, my beloved is, you know, uh, the, the ladies talking about, let's just say us to the Lord. The Lord is like, the Lord, he's leaping across, this is verse 8, leaping across the mountains. He loves me. And then the Lord says later, my beloved, your voice is sweet and you're so lovely. And so there's this passionate love exchange. Like there's this love that's alive. And this, I mean, you can say it's very um, clear how loving and how uh, personal this love is between these two, the beloved and the lover. And so... Um, here it says in verse 15, catch the foxes for us. You're like, man, this is getting weird. Okay, let's get back. We'll, we'll both bounce back to normalcy in a second. Catch the foxes for us, the little foxes that spoil the vineyards, for the vineyards are in blossom. So obviously this whole book is poetic, but what this is saying is our love. God is saying to his people, God is saying to his lover, Solomon is saying to his hopefully wife. Um, and he's saying this, he's saying, he's saying there's there, our vineyard of love, right? These great, our vineyard representatives representing love, the health of our venue, representing the health of our love. There's little things, little foxes coming in, trying to spoil our love, trying to make our love weak. How is it doing that? How do we know when it's doing that? And so that's what I want to talk about. Number one, we have to know God loves us. And and to understand this and to talk about this with a fair length of time, we'd have to be here seven hours, but we have seven minutes and God loves you. It says a couple verses before this, He's leaping over the hills to find you, right? He's, he's galloping over the mountains. Like, I don't know if you've ever seen anybody gallop for you. Ah, like, so excited to see you. Like the dun, 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 like that all the time towards you because he loves you. But he loves you. And a couple verses later, it says he's gazing upon his beloved. You know, like somebody looks at you and like they're real serious, but then somebody looks at you and like, wow, they are for real. There is either something really right or really wrong here. You know what I mean? Like, so like that kind of eye contact is really like, and it's really right. By the way, that's Lord, love is faithful, pure. Anyways, so he's, he's gazing at you. He loves you. He adores you. All the idiosyncrasies, the, the things you perceive as good or the things you perceive as not so good about yourself. He's looking at you in love with you. Number two, God knows the seasons. So it says that catch these little foxes that want to spoil the vineyard, for the vineyard is in blossom, meaning that the grapes are, are ripe. They're ready to be eaten. They're, they're, this is like a, we're in a good season. Their love is, is intense and, and, and pure and strong, and this is when the foxes come. And so, you know, have you ever had like, you know, married people or even single people in a dating relationship, you've had, you know, a good stretch of time where things are firing all cylinders, you know, you're, you're communicating well, you know, you're, 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 you're in, in good understanding, life is good. And then 
boom. You know, there's a money problem or, you know, a, a conflict that you haven't resolved or the in-laws are coming into town and no worries, dad. You want to keep the AC at 46? That's fine. How's 79? You know, like, you're just like, you're like little offenses, little pieces of bitterness just come in, right? There's little fox crawls to the base of your vine. And what do foxes do? They don't come and grab the grapes. They're not tall enough for that because, right, the grapes are draped along the, any vine dressers in the room? Okay, just be, I'm being careful, okay? I'll respect you in my lack of knowledge about vine dressing, but I've done my research. The foxes don't grab the grapes. They go down to the base of the vine and they dig a hole to uproot the vine. They don't go after the, 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 the obvious stuff. They go down to the deep stuff and they pull out the vine. They gnaw and sever the vine. And so what we have to be careful of is in those moments where everything's good and all communication is good and then there's one offense. They said something, it's like, you heard it in the opposite way. How many people have like, you know, you can say, I love you, baby. And they're like, oh, I love you, baby. Like, it's like, it's like, you can hear the same thing. I love you right now. Like, you can hear the same thing, but this, you know, and then that just sits there undealt with. It's the same with the Lord. If something happens and you're like, oh, that was God's fault. Or it's, oh man, God does not love me. There's no way, you know, or, or I'm such a mess up. Like, you know, for me, I know I, I went through a season where I was just like not spending a lot of time with him. I was like, man, it's like the Lord is just like, if I, if I come back and spend time with him, he's just going to know I'm, all I want is I, you know, all, all I need, all I'm here for is I need stuff and I want stuff. But that's a lie. The Lord loves you. He's gazing at you. He's leaping over mountains for you. And so what we need to remember this morning is those little lies, they, they don't come and attack, like, you know, there's not going to be a fire-breathing dragon that blasts down your door in the night and says, don't follow the Lord, right? It's not going to be that. It's going to be those little things. Yeah, that video that you saw, somebody explaining the Lord's like, actually, the Lord's really angry with you. Or actually, the Lord, you know, the Bible doesn't really say this. Or those little things come in. So what we're not looking for is the fire-breathing dragon breaking down the door. We're looking through the little things, the little foxes, because those are the ones that pull up the vine. And in the long term, we lose the whole stretch of grapes, not just one or two. And so why don't we stand up together? I want to pray for us because we have 21 seconds. And I want to say this. <laughs> I want to say this. Really, we need a living relationship with the Holy Spirit. Like, really, we need a communicating relationship with the Holy Spirit, right? Who's initiating this? Catch the foxes. It's the Lord. It's the beloved. It's the lover, the husband. It's exhorting the wife. And I'm not saying men. I'm just saying the Lord is exhorting his people, his lover. Hey, look. Look for the foxes. Hey, things are in blossom. Everything's good. It's going to be tempting to just kind of cruise on, put it in neutral. But look for the little foxes because this is the season that they're looking for. And so what we need is the Holy Spirit. It says John 16, the Holy Spirit, whose part could directly connected to the heart of God. He knows exactly when, the, what season you're in. And he knows exactly the kinds of foxes gnawing at your, and he knows exactly how to grow your vine branch to its maximum health and maximum flourishing. So why don't we close our eyes? I just want to pray for us. Holy Spirit, we really need you to speak to us. We, we don't want to be caught up with the, the little things that we just let sit there and then let it fester. Lord, we want, we want to, even the little foxes, the little fences, hey, babe, I didn't quite understand what you meant by that. Or, Lord, I, I don't know why this happened. Can you help me? And so, God, instead of us drawing conclusions, Holy Spirit, would you give us focus and attention to know when the little things are planted, before they get big, Lord, Holy Spirit, would you, would you show us the little foxes? And that we would keep our love fresh. In Jesus' name, amen. Wouldn't it be good if we were a church, a fresh church with fresh love?
right? Not a stale church, a cold church, but a fresh church with fresh love. That's my prayer for us today. So, all right. God bless you. Hello, hello. How are you guys? All right. Well, following all of that energy, I love it. <laughs> Here we go. Well, um, I love, Jaden, your message because, well, first, I'm going to give a plug out for Serve Day, actually, because I am helping lead a group here for going out and picking up and cleaning up our community. So I just want to say, we need you guys to sign up. We need a lot of people to help clean up. So just wanted to throw that out there. Please sign up. Um, but following Jaden's message, um, it's interesting because when Pastor Jason texted me to, at, to, to speak today, I'm like, yes, absolutely. Then I was like, oh, gosh, <laughs> I have to speak? <laughs> okay, well, I feel like so much has happened in my life um, that God's hand has completely been at work in. And which of those things is God calling me to, like, suit up and share with you guys? Is it the fact that I was born to two individuals who were addicted to alcohol and recovered through the grace of God? I don't know. You know, is it that I was baptized at 16 and lost my way and was pregnant out of wedlock and then married um, while six months pregnant and then divorced? I, I don't think so, right? Like, I, I prayed about this. God, what, what do you want me to share today to this community? Okay, what message is on your heart? And I started thinking about all those things, and I realized that trusting him is the number one most important thing that I had to do to let go of my past and move forward into the future that God had for me. Okay, so <laughs> with that, um, knowing I'm supposed to share about trusting, I was like, oh, gosh, now I have to share about trusting in seven minutes. How do I do this? <laughs> right? Um, but, and I woke up this morning just praying and, and giving it to God. And I read, read scripture where he reminded me, he said, um, Isaiah 44, 18 through 19, it says, forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? Okay. That was the NIV version. I read the NLT version and it says, but forget all the things. It is nothing compared to what I am going to do for I am about to do something new. See, I have already begun. Do you not see it? As I'm reading that scripture, I am sitting in the front yard of our home, our new home. We just moved from 1,800 square feet in following God and trusting God's calling, moved from 1,800 square feet to, are you guys ready? 218 square feet on wheels. <laughs> we completely just not we, God just helped us completely uproot our life, completely let go of all of the things that I thought that I needed in my life and to fully trust him in this path forward. I don't know what it looks like, y'all. I have zero clue. But when I think about trusting God, I think about where I am or where a lot, not where I am um, specifically, but where I've been in trusting the Lord. Um, and it reminded me of a story, okay? <laughs> Who has heard of snipe hunting? Yeah. Raise your hand if you've heard of snipe hunting, okay? If you've never heard of snipe hunting, have you seen the movie Up, where um, the old guy sends the, the Boy Scout out to snipe hunt? Okay, the truth of snipe hunting is that there is no snipe and you cannot catch them, okay? <laughs> because it's just not something. But I was 16 and I trusted 
people that I knew and people that were friends of mine um, it, that snipe hunting was real, okay? And I got my brown bag and my flashlight when they sent me out, and I am in the woods, literally, here, snipey, 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 <laughs> snipe hunting, okay? When I learned that this was not something that was real, I was crushed. I was heartbroken because I believed it with all my heart that I could catch this snipe, okay? So when I think about trusting, we on earth, we trust earthly things and sometimes struggle to trust how good God is. We struggle to trust in him fully, okay? And so when I think about trusting God fully, I also realize that there is a level of, uh, we have to think about a relationship, right? No relationship um, is one-sided. We can ask God, hey, I want to trust in you, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you myself, and I'm going to trust you. But are we willing to give anything back? I'm not sure. And so when I prayed about that, God told me obedience, right? We have to trust God, but we also have to be obedient to follow God, to follow his word, to listen to him and, and do the things that he is asking us to do. Um, all of this is kind of off of what I had originally kind of planned, but that's okay. Um, we, I, I, was, I wanted to say we trust cars, we trust airplanes with our lives, bank accounts with our money. Pastor Jason specifically trusts 7-Eleven taquitos <laughs> with his gut health, okay? <laughs> um, so why can we not trust God, right? Why can we not, we don't, we don't see those things. We don't, we do see the pilot driving the plane or we are driving the car, but we just get in and we trust, okay? Why is it so hard for us to trust in the Lord, okay? I realized that it's hard because sometimes we're not willing to be obedient enough ourselves because being obedient is hard, okay? Getting up and reading your Bible every day, I was talking to Derek before this, and it's like, if you tell someone to read their Bible, if they don't read their Bible, they're, they're not already just going to go read their Bible necessarily, right? But being obedient and knowing your next step. What is God calling you to? What am I supposed to trust next? You don't have to know the whole picture. You don't have to know all of the details to be able to trust to take one step further, okay? Um, and so with that, let me go back really quick. Um, and say that um, in stepping into this new phase of life, I have 30 seconds, oh Lord. <laughs> but in stepping into this new phase of life, I am, I've always been a more person, okay? I want to do more, I want to see more, I want to I go more, whatever. I want more, Right? And God taught me that if I trust and stay obedient and I follow my husband's lead and I listen to him in trusting that I, we don't need more, we need less. We, when we have less, we have the chance to, to witness more of God's glory, okay? So I just want to encourage you. I don't know where each of you are at. We all are on a different journey ourselves and where our relationship is is with God, but I want you to, to today just try and take one step further to trust him, to trust him enough to say, Lord, what do you want me to do next? 
It is not about the big, huge picture. We don't see the outcome of those things right away, but just trusting to take that next step. Yes. Thank you so much. What an awesome job, guys. So let's give it up again for Jaden and Mandy. They're doing a great job already. Here, here comes me. <laughs> and uh, just like Mandy, I was like so surprised when I was, you know, given a text to say, hey, Matt, uh, would you want to speak at Communicators? And I'm like, sure. <laughs> what am I going to talk about? <laughs> and it's bounced around like so many times, so many different times or different ways. I looked at like eight different things that I wanted to talk about. And what I landed on was something that I know pretty much nothing about, and that's farming. Um, <laughs> So what I wanted to do today was, yeah, right? We're going to talk about farming a little bit. Uh, and more specifically, looking at uh, the soil of our hearts and making sure that we're prepared to take in the seed that is the word of God and allow it to transform our lives, grow, and create fruit. And what I wanted to do was go into uh, the parable of the sower. So looking at Matthew 13, verses 3 through 9, I want to read those out to you guys. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on the rocky places where it did not have enough soil. It sprang up quickly, and because the soil was shallow, but when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they were withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up and choked out the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop 160 or 30 times what was sown. Whoever has ears, ears let them hear. Uh, and what I really wanted to focus on was what is the good soil, you know? Like, and how can we have our hearts be prepared to be the soil that God can work with? And I came to this realization when I looked out my window... I looked at my wife earlier this winter, and I was like, you know what we should do? We should make a garden. I've never gardened before. I've been able to see my parents' garden. I'm like, all right, cool. I can go out. I can pick off the fruit of it. But I didn't know how to make it anything. I didn't know how to build or uh, cultivate anything myself. And what I found out was that there's a lot of work that goes into it. I had to go through. I had to build these boxes. I had to put these planters in the ground. I had to dig up the dirt. I had to go and get new dirt that's better than the dirt that I had and put it into the ground. I'm like, oh, my gosh, I just spent this much money on dirt? <laughs> what is going on here? Um, so what happened was I realized that there is so much work that goes into it, but we can get so sidetracked by thinking that we are the gardener in our life that we forget that God is really the gardener and that we're just the soil. So what I wanted to do was just make sure that we were able to uh, key in and find out, like, how can we have our hearts be prepared to be that soil? And when it goes back to it, it's talking about these different things. There's, there's a shallowness sometimes that our hearts can have. There's a hardness that our hearts can have. And then there's the weeds that can grow up in our life and kind of choke out all the good that's coming from it. And there was a point between, gosh, 2015 to 2020 that I felt like I was in this hard-packed season that I heard what God's word was, but I just wasn't sure if I was really taking it in and allowing it to grow up and create fruit in my life down the line. And uh, I went through a, uh, a failed marriage in 2015, and there was so much pain because of the betrayal that I had endured through that. Um, I seeked retribution within that, uh, was looking for counseling and everything. And I realized, like, 
at some point, um, I just had to make sure that I was giving that thing to God and that I was following what his word says for me to do and to seek retribution and try to keep on making things happen. But ultimately, that disbanded because I remained faithful to the process and trying to seek out what his, um, his word would lead me to do. I was trying to make sure that I was looking and listening and trying to hear so that I could have his word be in my heart and make a difference. And what I found was that through the hardship of facing betrayal and facing a time where also at the same time my dad was going through a battle with cancer and he ended up passing in 2020. But I went through this period of time where it just felt like everything could be so dark, but the only thing that I could cling to was the fact that Jesus was always going to be good. He was always going to be there. He was going to be the one that was making the soil of my heart prepared to lead to a production of fruit in the right season. And uh, I'm just so thankful that I was able to hear his word and know his heart and know that he loves me before I went through that season. And uh, gosh, it, it is something that I hope uh, everybody here can understand that Jesus loves every single one of you guys. No matter what position you're in right now, he wants you, he wants your heart, and he wants to be with you. And what I want to do is know that um, we, we, want to, <laughs> we want to have this heart, this soil that has been tilled up by God. We want him to come in and churn things up in us. We want to invite him to take the weeds out of our life. It's not for us to just go through and just start ripping and grabbing. It's that we need to invite him into this moment and allow him to make the changes to the soil in our hearts so that he can grow the fruit that will be uh, able to produce a bounty and a harvest in, in time. Um, so I'm just so thankful for this opportunity to be able to speak with you guys today. I'm so grateful to be able to have uh, just a, an ounce of encouragement from each one of you guys to come up and, and take this leap. I'm not a public speaker. I'd rather be singing right here in front of you guys right now than being able to talk. Um, but what I wanted to do was kind of go through and just say, what is, uh, what is the state of the soil of our heart? And how can we invite God to come in and change that soil so that it can be a source that uh, his kingdom can be represented through us, that his fruit can be coming up and from us. Um, so Lord, we just thank you so much for this. Yeah, that, that you are calling us to be the soil, not to be the gardener, that we can trust you, that you can cultivate so much good, so many amazing things from even seasons of doubt, seasons of hurt, seasons of heartache, seasons of grief, seasons of depression and anxiety. God, we know that we can trust in you. We can be faithful to you in those moments, knowing that even in the winter, we know that spring is going to come. We know that you are going to lead us in this life to have fruit for you and not for ourselves. Lord, we just ask that you can allow that to well up in our hearts today and just continue to lead us towards you every day. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Good morning. Before I start, I just want to uh, just take an opportunity to say thank you to Pastor Jason and Pastor Brandon and Chapel for just allowing us the opportunity to share what God has placed on our heart with the people in this auditorium. And so uh, my name is Derek, and my family and I have been attending the chapel at Scott's Edition since November. 
We moved to the Atley area. I don't claim Mechanicsville, even though it's technically Mechanicsville. Um, so, <laughs> for real, I, I'm not, that's not a joke. That's not like dead serious. All right, so I have a family of five. I have a, um, a five-year-old son named Judah who's in here. I have a, a two-year-old going on three daughter named Emmy, and then I have a four-week-old son named Jeremiah. And so, yeah, no one sleeps in our house. So. Uh, so that, that's me, but I got, we got to go because we got a short time, all right? So here we go. So recently, Judah asked me, he's, uh, who's my five-year-old, in case you had a really bad memory, uh, and he wanted a bed with a ladder, okay? So he's like, Daddy, I want a bed with a ladder. So what did I do? I go online like any parent would do or grandparent. I search bed with ladder for a toddler. It's as specific as I could be, right? So we know that now a bed with a ladder is a loft bed, okay? Just in case you were curious. And so the first place I looked, which is, I have nothing against this, it was Facebook Marketplace, right? So I have no issues with Facebook Marketplace. I'm not coming for Facebook Marketplace, but I am coming for what happened afterwards. Because, okay, like, like I searched Facebook Marketplace for a loft bed, okay? And then I didn't find one right away. Well, lo and behold, Every time I get on Facebook now, oh, what do I see advertisements for? Loft beds, right? Like, there's a Wayfair loft bed. There's an Ikea loft bed. There's a boy one. Here's a princess one. Literally all the time, right? That happens all the time. So, um, and, and I know most of you can relate to that, but it the same thing happens when you're in a room with somebody, your phone's over here, and it goes super spy mode on you, and you're like, hey, Nate, I need a new pair of socks. All of a sudden, you open your phone to Instagram, and it's like, athletic socks with breathable, you're like, you know, like your phone is listening, and then you're like, oh, Nike socks, Fila socks, Champion socks, uh, no-show socks, high socks, wool socks, literally every sock possible shows up in your feed and you didn't even search for it okay or you look up a video on how to preach on gardening and now all of a sudden all he sees videos on is how in the world do I preach on gardening what is even soil huh you know like so like you know, and so, and so, like, this stuff is not coincidental. Like, this stuff is all intentional. They put tons of money into it. It's called an algorithm, right? Social media algorithm is curated each individually for us, and each of our applications will create a news feed based on our past interactions, right? So based on what our searches are, based on who our friends are, and, and nothing is off limits for this algorithm, right? The algorithm knows if you like... Um, I'm not going to mention names. If you like conservative videos or, or, or not conservative videos, it knows if you are, if you, you know, like gardening or if you like the city. It knows everything about you. It knows and, and it utilizes everything to curate and create this perfect algorithm. Why? Because it wants to keep you engaged. The goal of this algorithm is not so you get what you want. The goal of the algorithm is so that social media people get what they want more engagement. They want your attention because your attention is valuable. And even though we know this to be true and we watch documentaries on it, like we still find ourselves scrolling mindlessly, watching endless TikTok videos on what cool stuff people can cook in mini waffle makers, right? <laughs> like that's, 
That joker's sweet. Uh, anyways, so, but anyways, for the sake of this morning, I want us to go a little bit deeper when looking at something like an algorithm. You see, Facebook and TikTok have algorithms to fuel your engagement, and you and I have a very real enemy that has the same thing for us. He has an algorithm on, on our lives, and he has an algorithm, and, 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 and nothing is off limits in his algorithm. He will utilize every and anything to keep you engaged, to keep you engaged so that you cannot walk in your purpose or in peace. His algorithm, just like social media apps use whatever they can, he does the same thing. He will use your past hurts, your relationships, your failures, your addictions, both past and present. He'll use your sin, your abuse, whatever it is. Nothing is off limits. He will use your father, your mother, a, a, a soil, a, a terrible relationship that you are in now. He will use whatever he can to keep you engaged so that you cannot walk in your purpose and peace that God has for you. He'll often whisper things into your head like you're such a failure. You'll never be good enough. You'll never be as attractive for her. No one likes you. He'll tell you that you're worthless, that your father or mother left because of you. He'll tell you things that the way he'll tell you, he'll try and convince you that the world is better off without you in it or that your abuse was your fault. He will tell you that you will always be an addict and that everyone else is better than you. You see, the enemy, the algorithm of the enemy is designed to destroy your life. John 8 tells us that when the devil speaks, he speaks his native language of lying and that he's the father of lies and these, these, these lies that he whispers into our head. In John 10, 10, it says that, that his goal is to, to come and steal, to kill and destroy. In 1 Peter 5, 8, he tells us that our enemy prowls around us like a roaring lion seeking whom he can devour. Into in a message I listened to recently, Matt Chandler says, "The enemy wants you defined by your hurts." He says that you will either believe the wound, believe the backstory, or you can believe the declaration of God. The enemy has an algorithm curated for each one of our lives. He wants us endlessly scrolling our past hurts exploring all our missed opportunities and what-ifs, watching our failures replay over and over and over, all while dancing through the various, various numbing substances that quiet the whispers for a minute. And for most of us, we know the strategy, yet we still find ourselves wandering in his algorithm, lost in the lies that he's been selling us. But there's good news for each one of us today. You see, the enemy wants you to be defined by your hurts, but the creator of the universe wants you to own what he says about you. And so my purpose here today was, is, is to not to remind you of all the lies you've been told, but to tell you that it's time, and this is super cheesy, and I hate cheesy titles, but it's time to reverse the algorithm. And so what do I mean by that? What, what, it reminded me that, that the enemy says, and then this is where I, this is what got me excited. I was sitting here yesterday, and I, was, and I was reading this, and I was like, yo, I'm ready to go, like, run through the streets and tell all these people about this stuff. So, uh, but, but listen to this. The enemy, and this is how we got to start doing this. This is how we reverse the algorithm. The enemy says you're a failure. Well, that's great because God says God is made perfect in my weakness. In my failure, my God is made perfect. The enemy tells you that you'll never look or good or 
or be good enough, great. God says you're fearfully and wonderfully made in his image, in the image of the almighty God. God says the enemy will tell you that your father left you or your mother left you and, and, and everyone is just going to leave you. Well, God reminds you, I will never leave you nor forsake you. The enemy tells you that what you've done in the past is unforgivable and you've messed up and, you're, and it's too much to be forgiven. Well, here's what God says. While you were still sinners, I died for you. And as far as the east is from the west, so far here has removed the transgressions from us. The enemy wants to whisper in your ear and say that you'll always be an addict, that you'll never quit looking at porn, you'll never quit drinking, you'll never quit smoking, you'll never quit purging, that you're an addict and you will always be an addict. God says to his sons and daughters, he says, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is past and all things are new. And so here's what we do. So here's what we do. He wants us to reverse the algorithm of the enemy. And how do we do that? We hear the lies. We don't stop hearing the lies. But when we hear the lies, we develop some sort of warrior mentality inside of us that says, hey, here's the lie. Where's the truth? And, I, and if you don't read your Bible, go Google it. If you're struggling with anxiety, if you're struggling with the lies of the enemy, go on Google and say, hey, I'm struggling with this. Find a scripture that can fight it. And so today, what I wanted us to do, and we're about to go into a song, and I want everybody to just stand on their feet as we, as we close today. What I want you to do is, is I want you to hear the lies of the enemy. And more so that I want you to hear the lies on the enemy, I want you to posture yourself because the only thing that you and I have, the only weapon that you and I have against the, uh, against the enemy's schemes, against the enemy's lies is the sword of the spirit, which is God's word. And so tonight, if you're here or this morning, if you're here and you're struggling and you've been believing the lies and you're low, as we sing this song, I know I look, took way longer than seven minutes, but um, as we're singing this next song, as we go into this time, I want you to be reminded that God loves you that you are not just useful, that God delights in you, that God did not create you for, for, for nothing, that God has a plan and a purpose for your life. So as we sing this, sing it with all our hearts, knowing that God is for you and not against you, and that he loves you and he cares for you. Eleven fifteen. you all look kind of crazy. <laughs> My name is Morgan Bogart. If I haven't had the chance to meet you yet, my husband David and I you got to meet him earlier. We lead Thrive, the young adult ministry. <laughs> and uh, we have a baby coming in like five weeks. So, yeah, life's about to change forever. We're so excited. <laughs> but I'm so excited to share with you from God's word today. And, you know, if I've learned anything in my life, it's that this world offers us a lot of things. It makes a lot of promises telling us if you only had this, if you could get this, or if you could achieve this, then you would feel happy, fulfilled, and satisfied. And, you know, while these things might leave us temporarily happy, fulfilled, and satisfied, it's never lasting, right? It's only temporary. It's so transient. It always leaves us with a deeper hunger, a deeper thirst. Am I right? Can you relate to this? It leaves you wanting more than when you first set out to, to achieve and to find fulfillment in those things. Those things are always just a shadow of what was always meant to satisfy our souls, right? So I want to talk today to you about an encounter that a woman in the Bible had with Jesus. I want to talk to you about water, living water that will ensure that you will never be thirsty again. Amen? 
Come on. So it's from John chapter 4. It's one of my favorite stories in the scriptures. It's a story of Jesus, and he's going to Galilee. And as he's on his way, passing through the desert, he stops at a town called Samaria. And it says it was about the middle of the day. So you can imagine the sun, it's hot, it's high in the sky. And he, he finds a well outside of this town. It says he sits down to get a drink of water. And there's a woman there, which is very unusual because it's the middle of the day. Again, it's hot. The women would usually come to draw water in the morning when it was cooler, when it was safer because there was more people around. But she's there by herself, which means she was probably an outcast. But Jesus, he strikes up a conversation with this Samaritan woman, it says, and he asks her for a drink of water, which is very shocking to her because of the cultural norms at the time. And this woman, she says to him, why are you asking me for a drink? You're a, a Jewish man, and I'm a Samaritan woman. And Jesus says to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. He says, whoever drinks this water from the well will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in you a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman says to him, give me this water so I don't have to keep coming to this well to keep drawing water in the middle of the day. And Jesus continues their conversation, and it says that he eventually reveals to her that he knows her past, he knows her history, he knows her track record, he knows that she's had five husbands, and the man she's with right now is actually not her husband. He knows her sins, he knows her mistakes, but he is showing his love to her anyways, and he eventually also reveals to her that he is the long-awaited Messiah. And I think one of the biggest things we can learn from this passage is that Jesus isn't shocked by our sin. He came to forgive our sin. You know, so often we feel like we have to try to hide our sin from God and not let him see it. But what's so beautiful about this passage is that Jesus, when he met this woman, he already knew the stuff that she was carrying. He already knew her baggage, her mistakes. We see here in, that, in this story that despite the woman's past life of sin and the current one she was living, Jesus moves towards her in his love for her and do you know that Samaria was such a disgraced place that people when they were traveling to Galilee they would go extra miles extra hours in the heat of the day out of their way to avoid going through Samaria because they hated the Samaritans but not Jesus it says in verse 4 Jesus had to pass through Samaria had to pass he does things differently. Jesus moves towards this woman, despite what he knew that she had been through. He had to pass. He had to talk to this woman. Jesus is not afraid to enter into our brokenness. Somebody in this room this morning needs to know that God is not shocked by your sin, by your mistakes, by your struggles, by your addictions, or even by your doubt or your anger towards him. Ephesians 2 says, because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, has made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our sins. This is the gospel. God, in his love, moves towards us. We also see in this passage that Jesus offers us living water. Jesus looks at the water that she was drawing from the well and says, 
this water, if you drink it, you're going you're gonna to thirst again. You're going to want more. It's not going to satisfy you. But what I have to give you, the water that I can give, you will never be thirsty again. He's making a contrast here. One thing will satisfy, the other will not. Do you know that God intentionally created us to thirst for more than what this world can give us? God intentionally created us to thirst for more than what this world can offer us. The reason we have a thirst that nothing in this world can satisfy is because we were created for another world. You know, a car wasn't designed to run on water. It was meant to run on gasoline. We weren't designed to be filled by the things of this world. And that's why it always leaves us feeling so empty. That's why it never is, is what we hoped it would be. That's why we always are wanting more. God created us to thirst for more, but that more was never meant to come from the world. It was always meant to come from Jesus. The word says the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus says, I have come so that you may have life and life in abundance. Jesus offers us life. He offers us fullness of joy. He offers us freedom, healing, redemption, peace, a sound mind. Jesus offers us living water. Isaiah 53 says, come all you who are thirsty, come to the waters without money. Come by and eat. Listen carefully to me and eat what is good. And your soul will delight in the richest of foods. Incline your ear to me. Listen so that your soul may live. And I love this small detail at the end here. And in verse 28, it says, Then leaving her water jar, she went back to the town. She left her water jar at the well. She had found the spring of living water. She doesn't need to lug around a heavy water jar anymore. She doesn't need to keep going to these other wells, these other things of the world to satisfy, because she had found Jesus. Some of you here, you know Jesus. You felt his love for you. You've, you've worshipped in his presence. You've heard the sweetness of his voice, but you're still carrying around your water jar. What is the water jar that you need to leave behind today because you know the spring of living water. Chapel, would you stand with me as we're about to close? You know, what does it look like for us to drink from this spring of living water that is, that is Jesus? I believe it starts with worship. You know, sometimes we just need to take our focus, take our eyes off of the issues and the struggles that we're going through, the hurt that we're feeling, and we just need to lift our eyes up to the one who holds it all. You know, sometimes the most healing moments of worship for me is, is yes, I've brought my stuff to him. I brought my fears, my worries to his feet, like the Bible says, but I felt like the Lord was saying, you know, just don't focus on that right now. Like, just fix your eyes on me. And there, there's something about putting that aside and choosing to gaze at his, his glory and his goodness. There's something about magnifying the name of Jesus in worship. There's something about singing his praises, about lifting his name up. I love that old hymn we sang earlier. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Let me tell you one more thing. When you choose to worship Jesus in the middle of your hardships, 
in the middle of the brokenness that you're feeling, in the middle of the struggle, that is powerful. What you're doing is you're offering up your heart to the Father's healing and loving embrace, and he receives it with such joy. Chapel, worshiping Jesus is when God gives us strength, peace, joy, comfort, and hope. When we bask in his glory and love and presence, he begins to speak to our hearts what our hearts need to hear. Worshiping Jesus is when God begins to pour into our souls that living water that we thirst for so much. Come on, chapel, can we just come to the feet of Jesus right now? Can we worship him together this morning? Let's magnify his name. He is so worthy to be praised. We praise you, Jesus.